Left. Right. Yo, remember the food pyramid? Well, that is old news. Listen on to this episode of Sip Talk. Learn a little bit more about the American diet and the state of our health in the United States and also what might be affecting our health. And uh, here's a clue. Could be our diet. Uh, on that note, I will see you guys on the other end. Enjoy. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 All right, we are live. Welcome to Sipto in 65. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement. In C joined by James, the Bosnator. Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. Philosopher, referee. And uh, a man of many talents. What, what, bartender. What am I missing here. Bartender. Bartender. Very important. Very crucial to uh, to the topic of talk. As we talk, James, what are you drinking down there? Sticking with the bush ice today. Oh man! Uh, I found uh, I got... my favorite koozie again too. It was in a drawer in the kitchen Ooh, that I would never nice. have looked in. I would rather be drinking Jim yeah. Beam. <laughs> Uh, great looking cool. Which you makes got me there. think so I might today, buy some Jim Beam to, uh, Saturday. I think it's worth it. You, the big bottle costs like 30 bucks. I don't know what the prices are down there, but I know in New Jersey you can get a lower a liter of Jim Beam for 35 Lower down there? It has to be. All right. <laughs> um, so look, today we are talking about the American diet the decline of the health in the U.S. And uh, I want to, you know, what got me, I didn't know, I'd, I'd, I, don't, I don't know if I have enough content or even thought about the topic to, to carry the full cast tonight. But thinking about it was something on the news about how they are, they, some schools are going full vegan and parents are in uproar. And uh, I, I'm not against veganism. I mean, I am if it's Dated upon me or my children, uh, you know, I'm just not crazy about about this idea. Uh, if you uh, so you were a vegetarian, I remember in like middle school, correct? Yeah, I I did it for periods of my life. Um, most recent was right at the beginning of college, and I had to give it up mostly because it was super inconvenient because there were so few vegetarian options at my at the cafeteria at my school where I was just eating, like, the same thing. I would rotate through, like, two or three meals <laughs> seven days a week. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was tough to maintain. Um, <laughs> if I, if I lived on my own and had a kitchen and I could do my own cooking, it wouldn't have been anywhere near as bad. Yeah, well, that is, yeah, that is a downfall of being in, in school because your dietary choices are really defined by that school. So... And that's, and that's, I'm not, you know, I, I just started thinking about school lunches and I started doing some research about the uh, basically dietary requirements, you know, that the United States has had through the food pyramid. I looked at the history of the food pyramid, which for many years was a circle. I guess the food pyramid that we grew up with in the 90s came out in 1992. And that's got kind of the the base of it. I think is wheat, and then the next level. Yeah, up like is six vegetable. to twelve servings of grains, whatever that is. Well, the the next level up is fruits, and and then vegetables, and then uh, I think above that. It was uh, like meats and cheeses, and then like sugar, and and dairy, and then basically fat and sugar were at the very very top of that, and mm -hmm. uh, and that. that just doesn't quite work with the way food works in in our country. So, you know, if you're basing your diet off of that, you're not you're not going to have good health. And it's very. I looked at, at these different uh, generations of the food pyramid through the the uh, I think USDA. Is that uh, sound about right? Yeah. Um, um, I I remember the first food pyramid because I'm pretty sure like we were shown it in school. Yeah, and that's the triangular one that came out in 
1992. Okay, yeah, that fits with the time that we would have been in school. Yeah, um, and they were really pushing it when we were kids, and it hasn't actually changed that much. What's changed is, here, I got it open on my, my screen here. So for many years, really starting in, I'm thinking the 50s? No, the, uh, uh, the USDA food guideline, 1916 to 1930 is when it started. And it started, uh, it was called Food for Young Children and How to Select Food. And then 1940, they overhauled it, uh, A Good Guide to Eating, the Basic Seven. And this is a circular diagram which breaks the food into, uh, here, you've got uh, some dairy, you've got uh, bread, flour, cereals, then you have meats, poultry, fish. Um, and, okay, so actually, there's uh, not some dairy, butter and fortified margarine. And then opposite, <laughs> you, have, you have milk, cheese, and ice cream. So one, a food group is called milk, cheese, and ice cream. Another food group is called butter and fortified margarine. Yeah, if you were to uh, ask me when, if, if you were to tell me a food group is butter and fortified margarine, I would have said that's got to be the 1950s. So, and then you got leafy green vegetables and yellow vegetables, citrus fruit, tomatoes, raw cabbage. What's like great about leafy is... green vegetables and is that they will eventually turn into yellow vegetables. <laughs> I like that. I like that the, the cabbage is designated raw cabbage, and then potato and other vegetables and fruits. So they've l lumped it all in there, and then uh, then come the uh, late fifties through the seventies, you have food for fitness, and that's a basic four food group. And they have the milk group, the meat group, the bread and cereal group, and the fruit and vegetable group. Looks like Lisa's a fan of the uh, the recent haircut. Uh, you haven't got you haven't gotten a haircut. I'm guessing is that is that what I'm catching? I'm talking to you. Oh me, yeah, I did. I couldn't keep the mustache up. You, <laughs> but thank thank you for noticing. Um, and then uh, there's a hat. So I want I just kind of want to run through uh, to the current uh, where we stand with the the food pyramid today. Uh, 1979, the hassle-free daily food guide. I like that they've specified this is a daily guide. Um, 1984, the food wheel, a pattern for daily food choices. That is very confusing and three-dimensional, it looks like. It's very strange. I prefer 19... my food in two, 2D form. <laughs> 1992 is the food guide pyramid, which, which we know it. Um, and that's got, like we were just saying, it's got the bread, cereal, rice, pasta group. And then and that's six to 11 servings. And then the fruit group, two to four servings. Vegetable group, three to five. Then there's milk, yogurt, and cheese, two to three servings. Meat, poultry, fish, beans, eggs, two to three servings. And then the very top, use sparingly, fats, oils, and sweets. Because, of course, you would, you would put sugar and fat in the same group. And now the, Have you the heard current of donuts? One, yeah, that's, you would use that sparingly. Um, but look, now you got the, the, the current one here is the My Pyramid Food Guidance System, which is a food pyramid and it has steps and incorporates exercise into it, which is just kind of also confusing and it just looks bullshitty. Um, I'm not a fan of that at all. I'm not, I actually like the food pyramid uh, that, that we grew up with in the 90s, but I think it, it could maybe use some refinements based on current nutrition. Um, but look, I want to get back to school lunches real quick, just so I can, I can flush that thought out of my mind. Uh, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on having a meatless Monday where, where kids are required to go one day with no meat? I don't see a problem with it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with having one day where kind of meat is off the menu. Uh, if you want it to be maybe more Christian, you would do that on a Friday, but Monday and, and meat both start with the same letter. So however you want to do it. Uh, a lot of schools have decided to replace all meat with the Impossible brand, meat substitute. Uh, I and... prefer my, my meals to stay in the realm of the possible. <laughs> well, the, it, it sounds to me like the schools, so the, so through the research that I did, the schools that have decided to use Impossible brand are doing so to combat climate change and has nothing to do with nutrition alone. 
And I feel like they're really reaching for an angle there to, to sell this impossible food. You, you I have not eaten anything from the impossible brands. Um, but I just think, well, when it comes to the impact of like cattle and everything on climate change, it, it's definitely a factor. Um, it's not as big as other industries, but when you look at the amount of resources that we pour into animals to grow them as compared to just using those resources to make food for ourselves, it's tremendously wasteful. And then you also got the like environmental impact directly made by the animals. Um, the one that's really popular is cow farts. Because yeah, methane the is really is, is way worse than CO two when it comes to greenhouse gases. Well, the methane that comes from cow farts is actually one of the leading causes of of methane production across the world. So, so the yep. uh, the cow industry, the cattle industry, really bad for global warming. But it's my understanding that the amount of energy that it takes to produce uh these meat substitutes like impossible burger or like a uh, almond milk use an incredible amount of natural resources like the insane amount of water used for almond milk um well that's largely because almonds as a crop are very water intensive yeah exactly but you know i'm the thing is these meat substitutes work because they're not substituting a real meat they're substituting like chicken nuggets which chicken nuggets are nothing like you know regular regular chicken they're they're very well processed so you take a very much processed vegetable put it next to a very much processed meat neither one resembles real meat anyways and i've, I've said before that in the future i don't think we're i think it's it's i think it's very likely in the next maybe 50 to 70 years that eating meat may become illegal just because of it's not going to become only... illegal it's just i think that as time goes on the market will start to price it out where it'll, it'll become out, but... yeah, it'll become... become something that you don't do very often but i, I actually think it's going to phase away because it's going to get a lot of pushback um, you know i i think there's a good chance that we also look at the idea of killing animals uh very negatively in when when because the point is we're going to be so far removed from eating it on a regular basis that the idea of killing animals just to eat them is because nobody's consuming them anymore is, is going to seem inhumane. I think at some point you'll, you'll see that shift, but I think the first thing will be just a move away from factory farming because there's, there's a big difference between like, having cattle in like an open pasture or whatever, and then at some point deciding to slaughter them versus the conditions that exist in any factory farm. Huge difference yeah. there. And yeah, I think I... one is a lot more palatable to people that like if a cow lives a decent life and gets to live something resembling what you would expect a cow to live, as opposed to being crammed six inches away from another cow in a dimly lit facility coated in it and its partner's feces and never seeing the light of day or really being able to move more than like that six inches that it's allowed. Uh, I think that you'll see a societal turn against factory, factory farming. And it wouldn't surprise me if there were regulations in terms of conditions required for animals and cows aren't the only one pigs and chickens do are yeah. equally as poorly treated. I think as meat becomes as, as the regular consumer is priced out of meat, and we're no longer producing as much meat because of that. Um, I, I think, and and that the the greater amount of society, the greater population is eating is eating meat. We're going to see a lot of pushback from the people that just aren't able to eat meat to the people that are eating meat. Um, but uh, I want to I want to just talk a bit more about veganism in school. I don't like the idea of of someone forcing their ideals onto someone else who doesn't have the ability to choose. Students inside of a school have no ability to choose. They just have to do what the school tells them to do. And to me, that almost feels like a religion. It, it seems like you're uh, uh, proselytizing the 
the kids into you're forcing your religion of veganism onto the children. How do you know if someone's vegan? They don't eat meat. Don't worry. They'll tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's the point is that these these vegan people feel so strongly about this that they're forcing it uh, among the, st- the students. The students. Have yeah. So choice. like, hold on real quick. Just I, I, I did a quick look up on this. So in terms of like water usage, um, to produce one pound of beef is 1,800 gallons of water. Um, pork oh, is 700 gallons of water. By comparison, the same weight of soybeans or corn is 206 gallons or 108 gallons. So the same amount, the one pound of corn is 18 times less water intensive than the same weight of beef. So give me the give me the beef and pork numbers again, because the beef, beef is number eighteen hundred gallons of water, pork so 1, is seven hundred. Yes. So pork is le- less than half that of beef. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but but just stick with me for a minute on this uh, this veganism being a being a religion. You know, I had a friend back when I lived in Charleston who was a pescatarian, and I used to give her a, a hard time. Because obviously we order lunch or we, you know, I don't even remember eating dinner together. But it came up often enough that I kept kind of well, pestering her. The for amount her of gallons religion. of water to raise one pound of fish are insane, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I hear that every fish uh, that's consumed actually lived in the water. So a lot of, a lot of water involved in, in raising fish. Um, they tried, I guess, without the water, but it just doesn't, doesn't work. Bad um, results. Bad results, yeah. They, they don't grow very big, um, but uh, yeah, just the the veganism on the kids got me started thinking about veganism in general, pushing ideals onto people that have have no choice of their own, and and again, you know, I, I'm not against people who are vegan. I'm just against them pushing their ideals on children. But then I started thinking about schools, and I started thinking about nutrition in the U.S. And then I started Googling school lunches and what they look like. One of the first articles I came across was school lunch versus a prison lunch. And they showed you both. And I had no idea which was which. Yeah, you'd have a hard time telling in most cases. My, my question was, why can't we make school lunches more like... like it, if there was a restaurant that served the food that schools served, the restaurant would go out of business immediately. No one would ever return to this place. The only reason that kids eat this food is because they're forced to. And, yeah. And, this, and the, the schools are serving basically dog shit. The food has limited nutritional value, and it, it does not look or taste very good. And the schools... So the question... It's an easy answer to your question bureaucracy no funding but look the schools you know school cafeteria doesn't have to pay rent and all the food is subsidized by taxpayer dollars right and that's that second point is where we're running into a problem is we can't even come up with money to spend to to pay teachers more than thirty two thousand dollars a year why in the world would if we don't care about teachers why would we care about the nutrition we're we're sending to kids i'm not saying it's right i'm saying that we aren't prioritizing it um yeah but but again it's not it doesn't have to be a profitable establishment like a restaurant does it just has to break even it doesn't even have to break even if you ask me um i i saw an interesting argument about why are we charging kids um for lunch when they were, were forcing them to be someplace like you're legally required to be here for eight hours a day. We shouldn't be charging them for lunch at all. Yeah. I once legally was required to go to jail for the night and they, they served me food, no cost. It wasn't very right, good. So I'm sure it wasn't, but um, I, I thought that that was an interesting point. And I actually agree with it. Like, if you had asked me before I considered that, I would have said that, like, the normal price for lunch, which when, when we were kids was probably like a dollar or a dollar fifty per meal, um, 
and then like the reduced price was like probably 25 cents and then some kids got free lunch um if their parents were poor enough and i would have said that that system's fine but now that i think about it like it's stupid to be charging for school lunches well yeah also it's really embarrassing if you do get the discounted lunch like that's really embarrassing so i don't know how they go about doing it but it's it's I'm like sure the system has changed from when we were in school I can't imagine it's changed that much, though. It's got to be like yeah, but I think it's more digital EBT now. Is. Where like yeah, it's you just have an account and like you just type in your student number or whatever, and it just deducts Look, from your account. So I'm, if you get free lunch, then it's just deducting from a zero account. I can tell you almost for a fact, and obviously I don't know this for a fact, but I can tell you this almost for a fact. If you have one kid that's paying full price and you give him a uh, a, a card to slide, like a credit card. And the kids that are paying the discounted rate, I can almost guarantee that the kids paying a discounted rate will have a different color card. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Um, let's say hi to Maria real quick since she's joining us. Hi, Maria. Thank you for joining us. I see uh, we got Oksana. Uh, how would you say that? You're Pop asking Nina. me to read Russian? <laughs> Pop Janina on YouTube. Uh, so thank you guys for joining us on uh, Instagram, TikTok. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube. Nice to see you guys. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the Real Podcast audio platforms and on YouTube. But uh, I mean, the this the school lunches are an absolute joke. I, if, if you just Google school lunches by country, you get to see what every other country around the world is eating and what their school lunches look like. And almost all of them look way better than ours. Almost the one the one thing that I noticed is that almost all of them include whole foods and and act like um, I'll give you an example. Uh, the United States one was uh, there was one I saw that had strawberries in it, but they were like frozen strawberries in a sugar syrup. Well, Whereas I other- think part of it is like I would imagine that a lot of schools in other countries probably go with more seasonal meals so if you're in finland and it's january you're probably not getting strawberries no you're you're probably getting like a salted preserved fish (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah in which case like you couldn't pay me to eat that food well but but that's but that's the thing is i think like a restaurant so a diner is a really good example of a place that has super cheap food and lots of options. And oftentimes, especially in the New York City area, locally sourced food. Uh, thank you, Lisa, for joining us. We will see you next time. I appreciate you being here. Lisa signing off. Um, but, you know, diners, you could get almost anything at a diner, and it is going to be way better than, than a school lunch. And you have these options. So I think, I think one thing that our schools need to really offer are, are good options. And these can't just be schools in the rich school districts. You know, yeah. I, I, well, it's still... I think the way that we fund schools in this country, which isn't, uh, isn't state by state, it's, I think, county by county, probably, uh, based off the tax taxpayer money there is a well, is a yeah. recipe for major inequality according and of course across education and we're talking specifically about diet right now and I think diet is a major factor yeah the majority of schools budgets come from local property taxes yeah and if you're if you're funding their food through these taxes and you're feeding them garbage they're not going to learn very well well and, so you know a lot of the school lunch stuff, like that's part of a USDA program. So the USDA um, offers kind of federal assistance to practically all schools. Well, so there, there's, there is state and federal funding that all schools get. It's just not the majority of their budget. I imagine the USDA gives them kind of guidelines. And maybe that started during Reagan when, when ketchup was a, considered a vegetable. <laughs> that's a real thing. Uh, well, no, yeah, no, no uh, but I think it even started before then because the, the USDA was able used school lunches as a way to help farmers sell their stuff, and it's 
kind of gotten co-opted by lobbying interests of some of the larger food producers to be able to sell low quality food and have a guaranteed market for it. Yeah, you give the the lousy food to the schools and it's it's mm-hmm. guaranteed and you can sell the other stuff at more of an open market to restaurants or wherever else. Yeah. Um but I, I, I want to encourage you though to to you don't have to do it now because I know you get very distracted when you Google things. Um I want you to Google anybody who's listening school lunches by country because when you compare I, so our... on Reddit it's been a thing for the last couple of months where people have been posting pictures of their school lunches, so I've seen a whole bunch of them. But have you seen the other countries? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I'm yeah, saying. Like they... like France where like they have an actual like slice of a baguette. Yeah, uh, you know, I would still call baguette not a whole food, but I would bet that a baguette would be closer to whole food than any white bread that you would get in America. Yeah, Wonder which, Bread or something similar. Which leads me to my next thought about how the United States has truly ruined food. And flour is a very good example of that. So do you know... Do you know the flour that you buy in the store in the U.S., you know, you know what it's called? No, besides flour, okay. it's it's white bleached and enriched flour. Okay, so almost almost any flour that you buy, you know, the one with the little gold logo on it or the Pillsbury one is going to be white bleached flour that's enriched. So I get some notes here. You know that so this this flour is if your body digests it nearly the same as sugar because it is just pure carbohydrates stripped of any other nutrient value. Yeah, so, there's virtually so what, no fiber in it. So so to refine uh, flour, they strip the flour of the bran and the germ. So you only have this starchy endosperm. So there's no there's no fiber and uh, and then they add powderized benzoyl peroxide to the flour, and then they add a gaseous nitrous peroxide and chlorine. So you're killing anything, any, anything that's on the flour, and you're turning it white. Um, so there's no nutritional value at all to the flour. So to be able to, to serve it as a food, it must legally be enriched. So they actually have to add nutrients back to it to legally sell it, which is, which is insane. You take a regular wheat germ and you, you grind it down, that's your wheat flour. It's got fiber, it's got good fats in it, it has actual nutritional value. And your body digests it much more slowly and it doesn't convert instantly into sugar, which then your body stores as fat. Well, your but, body will store everything as fat. Like, if you eat enough if, protein, if you like your body will store the protein as fat eventually. Sure, but to turn that protein into the simple sugar to store as fat, your body has to exert energy in digesting it. Yeah, yeah, but it's... So if, you have a, if you have a fiber-rich diet you're, and, and you're eating more whole foods and less refined carbohydrates, your body's actually going to be burning more calories. So your, 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 your resting metabolism is going to be, is going to be higher. But, but I think that through the majority of the food that you can buy in the store, a lot of it is just super refined. We have gotten so far from whole foods. The fact that if you buy any bread in the store, it has sugar added to it. The, the, usually the second ingredient on bread is going to be high fructose corn syrup, which, which is wild to me that you're adding a corn product to bread. Um, or it's going gonna, it's gonna to be some type of sugar. Yeah, the, the problem with it, with high fructose corn syrup is that we as a nation produce so much corn. And all the producers of corn have just, in, uh, I'm not getting the right word, ingratiated them, ingrained themselves into the supply chain. And but that's, I don't and know that's, what you do more, about that. that. And that's kind of, that's the bigger point. That's the bigger message, really, that, that I derived from just being pissed about schools being forced to go vegan and then looking into school lunches and just being like, kids are fucked, and then, and then saying, 
our country is fucked when it comes to food. And this is, this is why people have no idea, food pyramid or not, how to eat. The, the, the food that you buy in the store is, you know, unless you're buying just fresh fruits and vegetables and meats, anything that you buy that comes basically in any packaging already is... is uh, well, the problem, I'm going to ignore the cost aspect, which is real, but I don't want to discuss it for this point, is if you're buying fresh fruits and vegetables, there's a lot more work that's involved in preparing them. And so they go bad quickly. If you buy fresh fruits or whatever, they're probably bad in two or three days. And in order to make a meal out of fresh fruits and vegetables from scratch, it's going to take significantly more time. And the reason why people buy all these pre-made meals or whatever is, like, it saves them time and it usually comes out cheaper because these companies that sell them have the benefit of economy of scale. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. The economy of scale is that you're, they're able to bulk purchase the ingredients, put them together for super cheap, and then sell them for very cheap. So you're able to sell chicken nuggets, a a 15-pound sack of frozen chicken nuggets for seven ninety nine, and yet if you want to buy a two-pound chicken chicken breast. Yeah, it's it's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you way more than that. Uh, and then you yeah, still you'll probably have to prepare that chicken breast. Yeah, and it'll go bad, and you can screw it up or whatever. Or you can just buy the chicken nuggets that somebody already made that you know are going to taste good, but are terrible for you. Yeah, and, but <laughs> like think about think about a certain friend we had growing up and the eating habits that he had. Well, yeah, did not uh, eat any vegetables. Actually, gagging when when you you know you put a vegetable on his plate, and uh, and that's re- it's it's freaking crazy that that you, just to not eat any natural naturally occurring food. Yo, when when we were kids, I thought that that was weird behavior. As I become an adult, I've realized how common that is. It's well, it was weird for us because of how we grew up. Mm-hmm. Although there's probably a lot more junk food eaten at my house than yours, but but I recognize it as eye behavior to be averse to eating a regular vegetable or a regular fruit or a basic lettuce. I want to add that Rosh made a comment about a baguette being super uh, so much of a staple in France. In the U.S., we refer to. Uh, the price of a gallon of milk is, is kind of something everybody should know. And as that fluctuates, you know, so does our economy in Flan in France, he says, uh, they say the price of the baguette is, you know, so-and-so, and that would be akin to our price um, of milk. I want to hit one other comment that Rosh made actually, because he was saying that like the, the idea of if you make schools vegan or whatever, and you're forcing them on that food on children. Well, that's, that that's the same you could make the same argument about people saying, well, serving meat in schools is forcing that on children. So well, it's not did, a question of what are comment? we forcing. I, huh? I missed that. Did Raj make that comment? That Yeah. Like, it's, you, you can't really talk about veganism in schools and say that that's indoctrinating kids because whatever you have in schools is what you're forcing kids to eat. So it's not a question of, are we indoctrinating kids? The answer to that is yes, no matter inescapably yes. So uh, then you need to say, okay, if we are forced to accept that we are indoctrinating kids by the nutrition that we provide to them in schools, well, what nutrition should that be? You make a very good point, and this actually, I did, I didn't catch that Raj said that. This popped into my head when I was preparing this, and that was why I thought of the diners. A diner has an incredible amount of options, and you have that choice. Kids have that choice. Now, there might be a guideline against somebody just eating, like, four brownies, right? Like, you're not going to let a kid just choose three ice cream cones for lunch. But having a kid be able to choose from a base, whether that base be vegetables, whether it be a pasta, uh, ideally a whole wheat pasta, uh, even though the whole wheat pastas that you buy in the store is also absolute garbage um 
Well, you yeah, get, the, you, the point you, is if you allow, you can't allow kids too much choice because otherwise it's just going to be like pizza and ice cream every single day. Well, that's why you would have like one base and, you know, one add-on or something like that. But, I, you know, I don't think, you know, serving something like pizza in schools, I think you're, you were getting further away from that kind of whole food mentality. I don't have an issue with serving pizza. It's you can't eat pizza every single day. It's you could have pizza once a week, which is actually what our school did is Wednesday was pizza day every week. (laughs) Of course, though, it was the only option on Wednesday. So if you provide options and the other options are good options, you're not, you're not in bad shape. So, I got a question for you, and then I want to get into some diets, some diet fads. Um, but the question for you being, do you know what babies eat? Like, do you know what a fresh human consumes? Well, breast milk. Yes, or just milk. And Well, it first... really has to be breast milk for the first. Or formula, which is designed to emulate breast milk as closely as possible and there's a whole debate about whether formula is actually good for babies that i don't want to get into but well for like the first seven or eight months of a baby's life it's breast milk but it's uh what you put into a baby's now put smell aside but basically baby is consuming and a baby is shitting out looks almost identical it's it's really disgusting um and you know i i started to uh, i started to do some research to see what babies ate what babies consumed a hundred years ago because that was you know I, so you're I'm, talking like, about baby food for like like the one to two year old range no no just yeah let's say because otherwise you're looking at a picture of like modern titties or a hundred year old titties <laughs> uh no I'm, I'm saying like maybe from from birth to to second year but but really the fact that what children are what babies are, are consuming is a lot of super processed food that also has been stripped of a lot of nutritional value so that it is just calories, very low protein. So milk has a lot of protein in it and some good fats. But, uh, <laughs> but I, you know, the formula that I, I've looked at some of the ingredients of baby formula and usually the second ingredient is sugar or corn syrup, which is which is not good. I think that you know there a lot of the companies are getting away from that, but it's still super. Common. Yeah, I would imagine the better formulas have less of that. Yeah, but, but right alongside them in in the grocery store is the bad stuff. But I wanted to share with you. I just googled uh, when I was preparing for this. What did babies eat a hundred years ago? And the first result from the BBC was, uh, let's see, uh, what infants could drink depended on the time and culture. Infants in ancient Greece were fed wine and honey, while Indian children in the second century AD were given diluted wine, soups, and eggs at the age of six months. In the U.S., donkey's milk was often seen as a suitable alternative to breast milk. So I don't imagine that the wines that were served back then had such a high alcohol content, but I was very surprised to see that wine was served to newborn infants. Yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> they didn't say gin in Britain. <laughs> um, diluted gin. So look, I want to I want to talk about some fads because uh, those are pretty cool, and I've dieted here and there, especially you know somebody who works out and you know tries to put on some muscle, which generally means eating a lot, eating more calories than when you're trying to cut down. Um, so different fads have, have been on my mind for many, many years, but I wanted to share some of the more recent ones, starting with the South Beach diet. Have you heard of the South Beach South Beach? Yeah, I remember Beach that diet? was really, really big, and I'm going to say that was about 15 years ago. Yeah, I I would say I would say, ten to twelve years ago, um, but it was a very popular diet, um, and it was designed by a Florida-based cardiologist, Arthur Agatston, and he wanted to protect his patients from serious medical conditions like heart d- disease and diabetes. 
uh, and I'm looking at a picture from the South Beach diet, and it looks like salad and lightly grilled chicken. Yeah, it's a pretty Mediterranean diet. Yeah, it, it actually looks like a decent decent diet. And uh, the next one, right after that, is Weight Watchers, which I can tell you Weight Watchers is is not a good diet at all. Weight Watchers, unfortunately, is one of the worst diets I've seen people go on. I will Isn't it just again, a fancy way of saying calorie restriction? That's exactly what it is, but they also indoctrinate you into the Weight Watchers culture, and you're buying Weight Watchers products, which carbohydrates have the least number of calories per gram, and because they're restricting your calories, you're eating a lot of uh, high glycemic index foods and very sugary, very sugary foods. And uh, I worked at a gym that was next door to a Weight Watchers. And I would take, if you just had to randomize the people coming out of the gym, the people coming out of the Weight Watchers, I would gladly take blindfolded the next body that came out of the gym, then the next body that came out of the Weight Watchers any day, any hour, any minute. Sampling bias. <laughs> Look, I watched the Think people about the type of person that's likely to go to a gym versus the type of person that's likely to go to Weight Watchers. Well, but but fair enough. And that's that's my case is... I don't think Weight Watchers is a good option. I don't think, you know, if you're considering options, should I do this, should I do this, or should I go to the gym? Yeah, the gym's going to be a bit harder, but I would, uh, I would tell you that the, the Weight Watchers is not, uh, not something I would advise people to, uh, to engage in. All right, let's see. Next you one know the, uh, there was a 1960s Barbie doll that was like a diet Barbie or something? Do you, you know this one? I've never heard of this. Um, diet Barbie. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, all right. Yeah, there was the controversial Slumber Party Barbie was released in 1965 and came with a set of pink scales set to permanently set to 110 pounds in a diet book entitled How to Lose Weight, containing just one instruction. Any guesses? Um, 1960s. And what, 1960s, right? 1965. 1965, and a diet. The one There's one instruction in the diet Barbie's book. Um, it's got to be. Oh man, I don't have any idea. It's got to be something just like starve yourself or something. <laughs> what is it? That don't eat. <laughs> oh man, oh man, um, that's not good for young ladies. Um, all right, uh, next diet here: Mediterranean diet which emphasizes heart-healthy fats. Um, it's going to be remarkably similar to the South Beach diet. Yeah, but the thing is about the Mediterranean diet is they push the, the fats a little more, which is it ends up being kind of more calories. So I, I would think the South Beach diet actually might be a bit better. Um, and then there's the zone diet balances, which um, it, it basically has you follow this 30, 30, 40, breakdown to to monitor to affect your insulin levels i don't know the specifics of it but it sounds a bit convoluted um and then the adkins diet and uh the adkins diet is the base of the adkins diet is just you're eating only proteins and fats and no carbs whatsoever and unfortunately that's i don't I haven't read any studies or heard of it actually being in the long term really terrible for you, but I can't imagine that eating so much unhealthy fat could be good for you. I don't um, think it could be good for your yeah, heart. I think long term it's it's problematic. And have you tried doing like a ketogenic diet? So you know that I have tried very low carb diet in the past, and. Uh, I definitely lost a little bit of weight, but the problem is there's carbs in everything. And I, also I tried like doing do it. it for about two or three weeks, and it was yeah. really, really difficult and also really miserable. Well, you don't have a steady source of income, uh, income <laughs> of, uh, of energy. You don't have a steady source of energy because your body is always burning this slower energy, and you don't have... 
you don't have that carbohydrate energy. So for me, it was but just the really- type of foods that I had to eat. Like if I had to do it for one day, fine. But there was so little variety in the types of foods I was eating. I hated it. Yeah, well, you remember that one time I came home. We, we both lived in the same apartment. I came home, and I said, oh, my God, James, it smells so goddamn good in here. What are you cooking? Uh, toast. <laughs> and that's how you did. just put some bread in the, in the fucking toaster. So I was so starved of carbohydrates. Um, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not a big fan of it. Well, and now the new Atkins does the same thing that Weight Watchers does and pushes you to buy their products now yeah it's just like nutrisystem the adkins products have uh, sugar alcohols in them and basically fake artificial sweeteners in place of the regular sweeteners and i find that food to be just kind of hard and tastes a little funny uh and then the next one the last one on this list before i get into the 50s and 60s diets is the paleo diet yeah, that's another stupid one. <laughs> I uh, I kind of like the idea of the paleo diet because it what they're trying to tell you is you're, you're going to eat like a caveman, um, which are only the foods that humans could eat when we, you know, were, were uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like hunter-gatherer type people, which uh, basically means you're not eating processed foods, you're not eating starchy vegetables, um, but anything processed is strictly forbidden and off limits. So processed I'm, foods, like nixing those, fine. But th- there's th- there's a reason why starchy vegetables are in so many different cultures' diets. Is they they serve an important role. Well, they fill you up, and they are oftentimes lower calories. So uh, a lot of countries eating lots of bread, like uh, in France, eating baguette. Or Asian countries, uh, or Hispanic countries eating rice, uh, or I don't know, Italy or eats potatoes. a lot of pasta, or potatoes. And yeah, Ireland eats a lot of potatoes, I guess. But um, you know, when you start incorporating the amount of calories that we get from other, on top of those starchy foods, then it gets really bad for you. That's, but that's ultimately, why we... at the end of the day, you whether you gain or lose weight is a function of an extremely simple equation. Oh, you know what? I missed uh, Shahira Rabba's. I, I, we'll get to your equation one second, but I just oh. thought Shahira Rabba's. I'm guessing she, that she was guessing what the one Barbie's, rule. the one rule from Barbie's yeah. uh, diet book, and that was vomit. So uh, bulimic Barbie, but bulimic Barbie, uh, I, you know, I guess that's not a hot seller. Yeah, I didn't pass the, the advisory panels or however they gauge who's going to be the next Barbie. Um, so, sorry, you were saying the incredibly difficult way to determine a diet? Or base, what were you saying? It's really difficult to understand? Uh, I guess if you're three, but otherwise, it's it, it, whether you gain or lose weight is a function of two things. Calories in and calories out. If you have more calories in than you have calories out, you will gain weight. If you have less calories in than you have calories out, you will lose weight. It's that very, simple. Yeah. Very, very simply put. And the issue that people take in more calories is usually because they get hungry. So the reason people get hungry is because they're eating bad foods, foods that don't have a lot of nutrients, that are high in calories, and they leave you hungry shortly there and low on energy. And the foods that leave you low on energy are because they're fast digesting. So you get an insulin spike, and then your energy drops, drops very low again, and you get hungry again. Also, they well to prove they, this, there was a nutritionist I think out of California that went on the Twinkie diet, where for a month straight all he ate was Twinkies, right? But and he, he meticulously tracked. He meticulously tracked how many calories he was he was taking in by eating the Twinkies. And he, as a nutritionist, was probably pretty good at estimating how many calories he was burning every single day. So he made sure that he was active enough to, to burn off all of the food that he was eating, and he lost weight on the diet. And at the end of it, he says, I don't recommend this diet. Nobody should do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is to prove a point, which is 
It's just calories in, calories out. That's it. Yeah, and, and there are ways to optimize your health in doing so. But if it's a weight issue, a weight gain or a weight loss, it's calories. Calories, that's it. Um, now, you can get, when it comes to insulin and when it comes to heart health and things like that, those are other factors, cholesterol, things like that. But Right, yeah, like the nutrition, about- nutritional value of the food that you eat still matters. But if you want to talk about just pure calculation of whether you're going to gain or lose weight, calories in, calories out, end of story. All right. On to the 1950s and 60s diets. These, I think, are really pretty cool. <laughs> uh, because I, because in retrospect, the fact that people were eating these things is just jaw-dropping. Hold on. Can I tell and you a quick it, story about like a 1950s um, diet or like weight loss invention Yeah, go that ahead. I think you'll appreciate? It might be on this list. So some guy invents a box. It's like a like a box that you can install in a room that's supposed to have like some kind of radiation or something that helps people lose weight. And so it was marketed to women, like housewives of like just go into this box for like an hour a day and like whatever this box does will help you lose weight. And so the guy who invented this went to some university or whatever to try and get like you know, a university doctor to say, like, yeah, this is good. So he gives him a free one, and he sends it back home with him. And after a week or so, um, the the doctor from the university comes back, and he's like, yeah, this thing, um, I'll, I'll give my approval, but, he, like, it doesn't work. And he says, well, I know it doesn't work, but why, why but I need someone well, to help push this work? for me. And he says... And then he says, why would you approve this if you're telling me it doesn't work? And he says, because I was able to get my wife to sit in a box and not talk to me for two hours. That's terrible. That's terrible. Um, all right. So these 1950s and 60s diets were basically creations by these mega food companies who started creating, what's the word I'm looking for, during the World War II when they when they started uh creating fast food and, and cereals and things like this. What's the word I'm looking for here? Kind of, a, you're not following me? No. Okay. Well, kind of mass-produced foods. Uh, so the first one is called Metrical. So Mead Johnson put a lot of science with satisfying food and weight control. It was a chalky, protein-rich powder uh, that they introduced in 1959. And they even used an IBM computer to generate the name for the product, which was a hybrid between meter and calories. And it came in a 225-calorie shake, which was pink, and it looks like Pepto-Bismol. And uh, its advertisement is uh, the Metrical Steak. I'm looking at a 1959 magazine ad, and uh, it's just a bowl of, of pink. James, I think I sent you this article. Uh, it was that was in the text message there. The next was the Sego, um, a meal replacement shake marketed in 1963. Dozens of diet drinks filled the shelves. So this basically, to me, it looks like Insure. You familiar with Insure? It looks like an early yeah, like any of those like nutritional meal replacement drinks. Yeah, and I can only imagine they taste so bad now what they tasted like in 1963. Uh, Yeah, and all of these are basically just preying on people wanting a quick fix. Yeah, and the fact that this is new to them, so they they actually think there's some magic behind it. Uh, So the next one I have is is Carnation, you know, Carnation Milk. It's Carnation Slender. Uh, and this is when the Carnation Company discovered that dieters were drinking its instant breakfast mix as a meal replacement. And they uh, rebranded as the Slender Powder and sold it as a weight loss food. And then they started creating uh, weight loss bars and diet candy. So I think it's kind of well played because the demand was already there. People were already taking their product and doing this. So the next diet um, and this... Uh, came out in 1964. I actually tried to buy the book this evening, but it was a 
a diet book called The Drinking Man's Diet, uh, which was essentially a low-carb diet supplemented by uh, liquid lunch. So I tried to buy that book. I was, I was not able to. Um, 1968, the cover of Life uh, is about diet pills and the danger of diet pills. So during the 60s, uh, diet pills like Dexatrim were selling very well. It basically is just like speed. Yeah, it was and just she, all high-grade, high-grade stimulants that have a sad, like a side effect of suppressing appetite. But it, like, you can look at meth. Like, you, how many how many long-term users of meth do you know that are fat? Yeah, and that's especially and, early and days. And meth is actually a great weight loss drug for both the short and the long term. Because you're going to lose weight in the short term because you're tweaking out doing all sorts of things. And then if you do it long enough, you lose your teeth, and that's how you keep the weight off. <laughs> um, you might want to throw a disclaimer out there. <laughs> nope. So look, next one is the Stillman diet. Um, and apparently it had uh, lots of spices or something and was kind of an Adkins-like diet that became really popular when Karen Carpenter went on this diet, and Dr. Stillman had a 14-day shape-up program. So these were basically just gimmicks that people were selling back in the day. The next one, and this is uh, from Denmark, uh, the sexy pineapple diet. So you well, eat most The Karen Carpenter thing is interesting because she actually ended up dying from compl complications related to anorexia. Well, uh, maybe she was just eating spices and and proteins so they said it, it's like the, an atkins like diet um but that's a shame so uh do you have you ever seen belt massagers yeah you, those strap are... a, you strap a belt around you and it just kind of vibrates and shakes you mm -hmm. um they you know uh you go to a planet fitness they have a um they have a you go into a little room and it vibrates you ever heard of this? And no. uh, they have they, they have a little room that, that shines red light on you. It's an infrared light chamber. And uh, they basically market it as a weight loss room. Well, if you're not allowed to bring food in there, by definition, it works. Uh, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, the next is the grapefruit diet. Uh, and this apparently goes back as far as the 1930s, also known as the Hollywood diet. And uh, eating a side of grapefruit with every meal uh, to the point where some people were just only eating grapefruit, which, uh, you know. Yeah, you grapefruit's a weird one because it has all these weird interactions with different medications. Where, like, if I, you're on I certain medications it. and you eat grapefruit, like, you can, like, die. <laughs> or or yeah. it'll just make it so that your medication doesn't work at all. Well, it's highly acidic, but also I think grapefruit. No, no, no. Really... There's, there's, I, I don't know the chemistry of it, but there's certain com compounds that are in grapefruit that just totally mess with the way that your body metabolizes certain medications. Look it up. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, the, the diet was sold in this uh, by saying that the grapefruit had certain enzymes that would burn body fat. Um. So I, yeah. you know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised that there's something kind of wild about grapefruit. But I can tell you one thing. I, I really don't like it. And uh, I, like, I eat pretty much everything. Uh, grapefruit is one that I like. Yeah, I'll have a bite, but it's not that very it's Grapefruit's very good. tough to eat unless you have a lot of sugar. Yeah, it's not. Uh, now, great, not like good. fresh grapefruit soda, if you take grapefruit juice and some sugar and some soda water or something, really good. Um, or a Hemingway it. daiquiri. Uh, Hemingway, yeah, it, uh, it is. It it can be very good with with some with certain cocktails. Uh, I want to just touch on the Israeli army diet that was very popular in the seventies, but uh, I want to get onto the the last chance diet, and this started hitting the stands in seventy six. Doctor Robert Lin's dangerous last chance diet was based on his liquid protein drink. Branded and sold as Prolin, the elixir was made of slaughterhouse leftovers like bones and hooves. Hmm. That's Yo, we need to wrap. 
Uh, yeah, we are out of time. I want to thank everybody for joining. Uh, don't do meth. Don't do drugs. And uh, on that note, we will uh, see you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks to, to Rosh for hanging in there with us tonight. Yeah, Rosh is super sick, and he is feeding us your comments uh, on Instagram and uh, the other live platforms. So thank you to Rosh. We will see you guys next time. Adios. Laters. See ya. All right, this is the other end. Thank you for joining. Let me know if you think we were right or wrong on this one. I think uh, I think we definitely need to be working on our diets on an individual level, and uh, we can't be listening to the government or waiting for the school systems to be fixing this for us. Uh, good luck out there, and uh, see you next time. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.